0: Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to Discover DEP, the official podcast of the New Jersey Department of Environmental Protection. Each week, we talk with DEP experts about how we protect and preserve New Jersey's air, water, land, and natural and historic resources. So that you'll never miss one of our podcasts, please subscribe to Discover DEP on iTunes or Google Play. You can also follow DEP on the web at nj.gov DEP. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoy our podcast. Hi, this is Bob Bostock, and welcome to another edition of Discover DEP. Today, we are joined by John Vile and Brian Henning, research scientists in DEP's Division of Water Monitoring and Standards in the Bureau of Freshwater and Biological Monitoring. John and Brian are here to talk about the Fish and Headwaters Index of Biotic Integrity Monitoring Programs, also known as Phoebe and HEBE. Phoebe and HEBE use fish assemblages and other aquatic species as measures of water quality. I want to start with John. John, what is an IBI? What's an Index of Biotic Integrity?
1: Well, basically, it's an index that uses biological communities to assess the health of a water body, a stream can be used on lakes, uh, what have you. In this particular case, it uses fish, or in the case of Brian's headwaters, it uses other organisms to assess what the health of that water body is.
0: So, if I understand this right, we know by either the health of the fish or the kind of the fish, what the quality of the water is. They're indicators, if you will.
1: Both the type of fish that live in, in the stream and then also the condition of the fish, how healthy they are, whether they have deformities you know, the or so forth can impact um, the overall score.
0: So, there, are there certain fish that are particularly sensitive to a poor water quality and if you don't see those or if you see them in really bad shape, you'd know to look for something else?
1: Exactly. We have everything from fish with different tolerance levels, different spawning strategies, different habitat types, and all those are based into what we have as metrics, and those metrics are a scoring system that's used to give it, provide an overall score. But all different fish species have different sensitivities to anything from habitat loss to sedimentation, nutrient pollution, you name it. They're all sources of sensitivities.
0: So it's kind of like that old saying about the canary in the coal mine, right? That in the old days, they'd, bring, they'd literally bring canaries down into the coal mines, and then if there was some toxic gas leaking, the canary would go and they'd figure, well, it's time for us to go too. Get Correct. out of here. Today. Correct. Okay. Now, I understand there are three different IBI programs. What are the three different programs and how do they differ one from the other, John?
1: So we have two fish-based IBIs and then one other program that Brian runs the headwaters which not only uses fish but also uses amphibians and crayfish. So we have a northern IBI which is used above the fall line for your more high-grading streams, your typical mountainous-type streams, cobble boulder and we see different fish communities in those streams. What is the
0: fall line? You mentioned the fall line. Where it's
1: sort in? of an imaginary line that runs from Trenton out to uh, the Raritan, out to Raritan Bay okay. that we use as a dividing line. Once you get sort of south of that, you begin to get to more low gradient streams, your sluggish, slow-moving streams, and that's where our southern IBI is used in the intercoastal plain, like everything that drains into the Delaware River.
0: So that's basically because of the different geography in yes. the state,
1: north versus south. Yes.
0: Yeah. Brian, John mentioned your Fish and Headquarters Index of Biotic Integrity. Why are we looking at the headwaters differently from just, you know, any point in a, in a river or stream?
2: Yeah, Bob. Well, headwaters account for a large number of streams in New Jersey and across the U.S.
0: Could, could I just ask you to define for us what a headwater is? I'm not sure everybody knows what that is.
2: Sure. Well, headwater is a broad general term for smaller water streams. Typically, anything from the first formation of a river channel down to about we estimated at about four square miles is where our cutoff is between programs. It's it's a relative term. Basically your smaller streams that are the origin of major rivers and which eventually go out to your estuaries and your oceans and all that. So, so most
0: headwaters are kind of tributaries of other of larger rivers. Correct. Okay. Correct. And it's where the where the, the river really originates, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. Okay, so I'm sorry, now that we've got that clear in my mind anyway. Sure.
2: Well, our Headwaters IBI program, it's relatively new and we monitor headwaters because they're, they're very abundant in New Jersey and, and across the U.S. Uh, like I said, there's about 70% of the stream miles in the United States are estimated to be headwaters. So although they're very small, they're very numerous and they're all the, the arteries of the, the river networks. So it's important to monitor them and they're very susceptible to stressors, Types of environmental changes, land use changes, habitat changes over time. Because they're so small, they're they're very fragile. So we're monitoring these these streams because they have a lot of sensitive species and they're very good indicators at telling us you know what the biological integrity of, of these small streams. Previously, before the development of the headwaters IBI, there was only a fish IBI and we did macroinvertebrates in smaller streams. And now that we have the headwaters IBI, we have another level of evidence to assess the ecological value of these small streams.
0: So that gives you more information than you had previously when just looking at the macroinvertebrates. Correct. John, tell us a little bit about how you actually take the fish samples from the water. I mean, do you you cast a line? Do you go in with a net? How how do you do that? How do you catch these fish to kind of evaluate them?
1: We use electrofishing. Typically, we use a backpack that uses a small battery puts a pulse DC current into the stream which stuns the fish and we net them put them in buckets and in live wells and within depending on what the water temperature is usually around 10 seconds maybe a little bit longer the fish recover oh wow um, we try to put them in live wells in the stream allow flow to come through the to the live wells allow them to get enough oxygen and then we can go back and, and work up the fish, measure them, and ID them, and, and release them back into the stream.
0: So when you um, shock these fish, and or, uh, shock is probably too strong a word, stun the fish is yeah. probably more accurate. Uh, I don't want people to think you're frying fish out there <laughs> in the uh, in our rivers and streams. Uh, so you put them in this live well, and once they kind of recover, which they do very quickly, do you pick them up and measure them, or and and do you. Check them out, or what What exactly are you looking for?
1: Yeah, so we'll ID every specimen that we collect. We collect them over 150 meters of stream. We ID them all. We check the health of them to see if there's any external deformities, any game species that we collect, things like bass, trout, sunfish. We'll measure those, and then we release everything back into the stream. Do
0: you take any blood samples or anything?
1: We do not. For, not for this project. We do not. We don't take any any blood or tissue samples.
0: But you guys can tell, and Brian can address this as well, you, you guys can tell because of all your experience, probably just even eyeballing the fish, you know, whether it's in good shape or whether it's under stress.
2: Sure. Um, you what know, sort of things
0: are you looking at, like the color you know?
2: Right. We examine the fish for what we call delts, which are deformities, uh, lesions, and tumors. You know, we can tell the difference between a stockfish and a wildfish and uh, the condition that they're in. We observe several tumors in the field, lesions on the, on fish in different areas of the body and so forth. But yeah, that's, that's one indicator of, you know, the health of the stream. And in, in additional for all the headwaters, we're, we're also looking at crayfish, frogs, and salamanders as well. Not so much looking at... Um, any deformities with them, but more collecting them, their presence and absence goes towards indicating how sensitive uh, they are to the, the water quality and how well that, that water quality condition is. So there, there's several species that we look for that kind of indicate how well the water quality is in terms of uh, amphibians and so forth. So if you
0: find an abundance of frogs, for instance, uh, you know that the water probably in this place is probably pretty good.
2: Sal- salamanders are a greater, better indicator mm-hmm. um, than frogs, but yeah, the presence of several sensitive salamanders is a good indication that the headwater stream is in a good, healthy condition.
0: Now, I want to ask both of you, uh, we mentioned about electricity in the water and stuff. Do, do you have to take any precautions yourselves to make sure you don't get stunned? Do you have special boots you wear, do you ground yourself, or how, how does that work?
1: so we have waders that we wear that are non-breathable a lot of the fishing industry is going towards breathable waders for fishermen keeps you cooler Mm and so forth we can't use those because the electricity actually will travel through them so we do have specific waders that we have to wear to ensure Mm -hmm. no one in the crew gets shocked we also wear linesman's gloves so that while we're reaching a net into the water if your hand happens to go in the water you're not getting shocked polarized glasses to make sure we can see the substrate and we have good footing. We have boots that have spikes in them they give us additional footing so we're not slipping and sliding too much in the stream.
0: That's good. And when you go out in the field, do you go individually or do several of you go at once? Or how how does that work?
2: Typically, in the, the fish IBI, it typically requires a larger crew. We're doing larger bodies of water. So John would typically go out with a crew of four to five. It could be several backpacks, two or three backpack electrofishing units or maybe a small electrofishing barge which has a generator on it which powers the electricity in the water. The headwaters are much smaller streams, typically a crew of two or three. One backpack is enough to, to do the job.
0: And do you do this testing or do you perform this work all year round or just certain times of year?
1: So, for the fish IBI program, our index period goes from June through early October. Brian has a little different index period.
2: Our headwaters index period runs from May to October.
0: And how do you pick the places where you're going to go and do the samples? Do you have like a regular schedule of places you go so you can kind of monitor them across the years or are they how are they chosen?
1: We have three different types of sites. We have fixed sites that we go to once every five years. And we use these sites to look at long-term trends in the state. You know, are the streams getting better? Are they getting worse? How are they doing? So that's one type. Then we have what, we, what are probabilistic sites. So they're randomly selected throughout the entire state. And we use those to assess the overall health of the waters in the state. And then our final group of sites are called Sentinel sites. And these are higher quality, sites that have sensitive species, some level of protection, and we sample those on a routine basis in order to determine what the natural variability of the IBI is, and then also to be able to uh, monitor any kind of environmental changes. So these are like the better quality sites that we have in our networks that we monitor every other year.
0: And if you saw something going wrong in one of those sites, that would throw up a red flag right away. Correct. correct. Yeah, yeah. Now, when you take the data, do you have a sheet you fill out and you're looking for certain things or is it, so are there objective measures or is it more subjective depending on your own observations or is it a mixture of the two?
1: It's a mixture of the two. Uh, we, we also collect a lot of water chemistry data with in-situ meters, we also take nutrient samples. Now we have a lot of habitat data that we collect, some of it is qualitative, some of it is quantitative, but we try to collect as much information from the stream and a work day as we can because when we do find impacts to a stream, then we want to be able to look at the habitat and try to tease out what's really causing the impact to the fish community. So that's where the habitat and and the water chemistry um, are important.
0: And about how long does it take at a particular site for you to do everything you're doing there? Is it, you know, an hour, a couple hours? How long does that take?
2: Yeah, typical samples, typically uh, around three hours or so from the electrofishing, the water quality sampling, the habitat assessment, typically about three hours per site, and then the rest of the day is largely driving to and from the site and packing, loading gear, equipment, you know, we do a thorough decontamination after sampling back at the office to clean our equipment and prepare for the next site. So that's a typical work day.
0: It's a busy day. (laughs) Spending a lot of time out in the field and then a lot of prep before and after too, which um, folks don't always, you don't see that so much. You know, we'd see you out in the field and they'd be, oh, look at these guys, they work three hours today, but you're probably spending at least an hour or more for every hour you spend out in the field getting ready and then coming back and cleaning up and entering the data and all the rest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How do you use this data to classify streams? And in relation to that, kind of what are you finding out there? Are are you finding that our streams and rivers are improving, getting worse, uh, about the same over the past, you know, 10 years or so? What what kind of results are you finding?
1: So for our Northern IBI, that's our oldest program. We've been we started that back in 2000, so that's the largest data set that we have. We're now doing, we're currently on four of monitoring, and what that is is every five years we consider that a new round where we're going back to those sites. So basically what we found over going into our fourth round now is it's pretty much staying about the same. The majority, overwhelming overwhelming majority of sites are the same. They Mm -hmm. haven't changed a rating, the scores haven't changed too much. And about an equal number of sites are improving as are declining.
0: And are, and the ones that are staying the same are most of those. Were they in pretty good shape to begin with, and they've maintained a pretty healthy uh, situation, or were they not so great and they're not getting any better?
1: You have some of the both um, yeah. on both ends. I mean, there are certainly some rivers in the state which are at the bottom, and really, it's extremely difficult to put any sort of remediation or restoration efforts in order to improve them whatsoever because of surrounding land use, development, and so forth. And then you have some other sites that are obviously very healthy, very good, They have an intact watershed, and they have remained relatively stable over time.
0: So Brian, what's the biggest threat to the health of our rivers and streams in New Jersey?
1: Well, there are several threats. Uh,
2: stormwater is one of, the, one of the big ones, just overdevelopment, land use, uh, loss of habitat, the land use, logging, mining activities, all that, you know, as disturbance to headwater and streams, you know, nutrient management, people's lawns, so forth like that, fertilizer use, you know, all contributes to nutrients in the waterways, which impacts the health of these streams.
0: So it's mostly non-point sources that are doing the damage at this point, compromising the health, Yeah. You know, it's interesting. We don't often think when we're fertilizing the lawn or changing the oil in our driveway, and a little bit drops off. That, you know, when it rains, that stuff uh, gets washed away from where it was. It ends up perhaps in a storm drain, which ends up in a um, in a stream or somewhere. And, and all this stuff, you know, one little drop from all these places can really make a huge difference. All these non-point sources. And I know we have put on the description of the podcast some links to pages on the DEP site where you can learn more about how to lessen the contribution to nonpoint source pollution, which would make a big difference for the health of our streams and our rivers, no doubt about it. Now, how did, how did both of you prepare for this sort of career? What did you do and what did you major in in school and how long have you been doing it? Tell us a little bit for people who would be interested in this kind of work, what it took to, to get to the point where you all are in your careers.
1: Um, I've been doing fishery surveys for 23, 24 years now. I went to Rutgers University College, and the first fisheries class I took there, I knew that's what I wanted to do, and from there I went on to graduate school in fisheries and aquatic biology and traveled across the country a little bit as a biologist before coming back to New Jersey to DEP in 2005.
0: So your undergraduate degree was biology.
1: It was. It was yeah.
0: biology. Yeah. Yes, yes. Ryan, how about you?
2: Yeah, I've been with the DEP for five years now. It's full-time. Previously worked as an hourly within Bureau of Freshwater Biological Monitoring under John Biles' supervision when I was fresh out of college after I attended the University of Mansfield in Pennsylvania and mm-hmm. my bachelor's in fisheries. After that, I decided to pursue my education, and I attended uh, the College of Environmental Science and Forestry in Syracuse, New York. Uh, to obtain my Master's of Science in Fish and Wildlife Biology and Management. spent some time up there in New York doing research on fisheries assemblages in the Thousand Islands region of the St. Lawrence River.
0: That's You both have obviously spent a lot of time doing this, which is how you've acquired such expertise. I, I find it really interesting that, you know, the way I've always thought how do we measure the health of a, a water body is, you know, scoop up some water and look at it under a microscope. But this gives us, this sort of work gives us a whole new dimension really to understanding what's going on in these rivers and streams, doesn't it?
1: Right, because, you know, often we do have a chemical monitoring program in our office, but often that's just a snapshot in what's going on in that water body at that moment. Whereas these organisms are living in the streams year round, they have to deal with everything that's going on in the watershed, whether it's development or you know, erosion and nutrients, what have you, and so they have to have the ability to survive. And so by using those as biomonitors, they're really telling us how healthy the system is because they have to be there. And fish are, are long-lived, so they're very good indicators of long-term trends. And for the work that we do, we don't have to wait for samples to come back from the laboratory. We don't have to pay anyone to analyze the samples. Basically, the day we collect the sample, if need be, we can generate a result and say the stream is healthy or it's not.
0: This also, I think, points out how interconnected everything in the environment is. You know, There's nothing that happens in the environment that doesn't have a ripple effect or an impact somewhere else. And I think that this program kind of shows that, that uh, things that may have happened miles away, in terms of uh, you know over fertilizing or you know somebody drops the oil or any of the other things that end up in our rivers and streams can have a ha- have a huge effect in other parts of our environment and just how interconnected it is and how you know we can tell that if the fish aren't healthy then the water's probably not going to be healthy for us to use either yeah. so i think we have come over the last 40 50 years really to appreciate more than ever how interconnected all of these things are. Nothing happens in a vacuum. Sure. Yeah. How can people find out more about the work that you're doing? Do we have information on the web?
2: Yeah, we have a website which I think you'll provide the link to it. People can come to our website and find our data summary reports where every stream that we monitor will have the type of species that we find there, the condition rating, good, fair, poor, very poor, some water quality measures there, the location of it, we also, on our website, have many pictures of the fish and, and uh, tax that we collect, some examples of posters and presentations that we have given on our programs. There's also some soon-to-be videos and so forth showing the type of work that we do out there in the stream. That's great. Um But over the years, we've seen that you know we have a lot of data downloads each month and it seems like the public has a real strong interest in this program not only because they wanna know what's in their local waterway, but also fishermen and women are interested in you know, what type of sport fish might be in these water bodies. And sometimes they go look at our reports and see, see what type of fish are in their local waterway. So yeah, you can check us out on our website. You can follow the link below. Um, we also attend several outreach events for the DEP uh, throughout the year. You can find us at Take Your Kids to Work Day, uh, the Trent Youth Fish and Derby Worldwide Monitoring Day, and the Wild Outdoor Expo. And uh, you can come talk to us here string Tank, see some of the fish that we collect, uh, and uh, talk to us about the program.
0: And if somebody runs across you when you're in the field, if they have questions, should they feel free to ask? Or, or you guys kind of don't want to be oh, disturbed? Absolutely. Don't shoot. <laughs> <laughs> We, uh, Unless you have a camera. <laughs> we, are,
1: we I mean, not that often, but we have had members of the public ask us questions and we'll invite them down to the stream while we're working up the fish. We'll show them the fish that we collected in our local stream, what they mean to the water quality, you know, exactly what it is we're doing. So, yeah, we, anytime you see us out there, feel free to stop right. us.
0: And, and John and Brian both, what hints would you give our listeners about things that they could do to help improve and maintain the quality of our waterways here in the state of New
1: Jersey. I think certainly watching over fertilizing your lawn and and garden definitely not dumping any sort of oil products or anything like that which can get into a storm drain and, and get into the water body. Getting involved in a local environmental or watershed group to help with everything from habitat restoration to cleanups, cleaning up garbage along the stream is, is extremely important. Yeah. I, w- I would just echo
2: those comments and, you know, you always live downstream
1: from someone.
2: So think about, you know, where, where that water is going after you manipulate it and, and also to, you know, do your part, not to transfer invasive species of fish and so forth throughout the state and, don't, don't flush that goldfish down the toilet.
0: Yeah. <laughs> or those snakeheads I've heard about too. Have we seen many of those in New Jersey or still pretty limited?
2: They're
1: here. And uh, yeah, we, we found them in a few sites. And I think you know they're certainly going to spread across more sites. We'll be yeah. coming across them more and more.
0: Yeah. Well, I once heard uh, watersheds defined as communities connected by water, which I thought was a pretty good definition. And I think the work that you... Are doing in your jobs really kind of emphasizes that, that all of the, everything we do is, is connected in some way to the water. And uh, the more we can be mindful of uh, using best practices in, in everything we do around our homes and in our businesses and everything else, the better it's going to be for our water. So I want to thank very much John Vile and Brian Henning for taking time out of their day. I'm sure on a, today happens to be a gorgeous day. They'd probably be out, rather be out in the field. <laughs> Uh, checking out uh, some fish, but we're glad they spent some time with us today to explain and give us some really interesting and in-depth information on the work that DEP's Division of Water Monitoring and Standards, Bureau of Freshwater and Biological Monitoring does to make sure we understand the health of our waters here in New Jersey so that we can develop ways to improve the health where it's needed and to maintain the health when the waters are in good shape. So, gentlemen, thank you so much for coming out. We have links to the sites that you discussed so people can click on them and find out more information. And before we go, the one question I should have asked earlier, when the fish are stunned, it doesn't do any damage to them. They go right back into the water healthy, and they don't really know what hit them, right? That's correct. We don't take any home for dinner. All right, that's good. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you so much for coming in. We really appreciate uh, your spending time with us and uh, talking about this program with us. Thank you. Thanks, Brad. Thanks. Thanks for listening to Discover DEP. If you have comments on the podcast or ideas for future podcast topics, please email us at podcastdep.nj.gov. At Enjoy the rest of your day.